Hello, my name is Alan Knapp and I'm an editor for Functional Ecology. And today I'm visiting with Patrick Vernile and Anita Narwani. Anita and Patrick are two of the editors of an extended spotlight feature published in the May issue of Functional Ecology. This feature is entitled Community Phylogenetics and Ecosystem Functioning. Patrick and Anita, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on this special feature. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Great. It's a pleasure to visit with you as well. So uh, we have a, a, just a short series of questions we'd like to go over with you. Let's start with you, Anita. Um, let me begin by asking you to provide us with some background on how this special feature came about. Why did you decide to do this, you and your co-editors? What, what was the motivation? Uh, did this come from a conference or a venue? Can, can you just give us some background on this? Yeah, actually, um, both Patrick and I were, were doing research in the Cardinale Lab at the University of Michigan. And we were asking questions about how evolutionary history, as it's represented on phylogenetic trees, how it affects um, the ecology of freshwater phytoplankton. And um, we were getting some really interesting results and got into reading the literature quite broadly and realized that there was potentially a perfect time to start to um, synthesize results and try to get people together and thinking about um, things more broadly than just their own individual study systems. So I put together a symposium for the Ecological Society of America meeting, and that was in 2003. We had a number of really great scientists come together, and the purpose of the meeting was really to get everyone together, give people a chance to present their most interesting recent results on the topic, and to ge generate some discussion and some synthesis. And as a result of that meeting and the amount of interest that it generated, not only from the people we invited, but just from the general, the general ecological um, audience, we got uh, an invitation from Functional Ecology to put together this special feature. So, yeah, from that, we invited many of the speakers at the symposium to present their work. And the, re the real crux of the podcast, uh, and the podcast that, and the special feature that we're presenting is to find out, to get a really good sense of whether phylogenetics in community ecology is following a good trajectory, whether um, it's generating new insights into ecology and ecosystem functioning, or whether we really need to reassess the assumptions of the main field and whether we need to, to take the field in a different direction at this moment. So in the end, um, the, the papers that we have in this special feature, I think, do a pretty good job of assessing the status of the field as it is and also highlighting some routes forward into the future. Great. So, Patrick, let's take off from those last comments. Can you provide a little more um, information on the overarching goals of the feature or really what you want readers to take away from these papers? Sure. Let's, let me begin by saying that there's basically two fields in community ecology research that have benefited from the increase of, from the incorporation of phylogenetic information into, into ecology. The, the first of them is community assembly research exploring the processes and all the mechanisms by which species organize and interact together to establish local communities. And the second one would be biodiversity and ecosystem functioning, exploring the impact of biological diversity on the functioning of ecological systems, and that in order to predict how the consequences of biodiversity loss. So in both cases, in both, both fields, the amount of phylogenetic relatedness among different organisms has been considered as a substitute for their functional differentiation. 
So in the light of a growing interest in using phylogenetics in understanding community assembly and ecosystem functioning, the, the main two goals of this extended, extended spotlight, spotlight sorry, were to first critically re-examine the assumptions underpinning phylogenetic approaches of community ecology, basically in community assembly and ecosystem functioning, and second, to propose some ideas about how to overcome these limitations of current approaches in community assembly and ecosystem functioning in order to help to move this field forward. So what we want uh, the readers to take away from this special feature is that first, some of the basic assumptions underpinning phylogenetic approaches of community ecology lack support, should be carefully evaluated and should not be taken from granted because this naive perspective definitely leads to some mistakes, both in community assembly and biodiversity ecosystem functioning research. And the, sec the second main uh, message we want readers to take from this special feature is that there is also some good news in this field. The incorporation of evolutionary information into community ecology research has, has lots of potentials. Uh, one way to move forward would be for instance, to model the process of trait evolution, we believe that it, it's necessary to improve our understanding of when and why, for instance, phylogenetic information can be used to understand community ecology. Um, and if for the next few years we focus on describing, for instance, how ecological traits evolve along the tree of life, the incorporation of phylogenetics into community ecology will be much more successful than it has been for the last few years. Great. So, Anita, back to you. There, there are the special feature or the extended spotlight essentially consists of four papers. Um, without going into a lot of detail, can you give us just a, a brief overviews of each of those papers and how they fit together? Yeah, sure. So, the first paper is by Nathan Kraft and co-authors. And that paper aims to really just test some fundamental assumptions about how we can detect processes from patterns um, on the macro scale in terms of ecological patterns. And so the craft group basically tries to um, test the environmental filtering concept, which says that we can say something about um, how communities came to be, how they arose on an, on an evolutionary or ecological landscape. And whether that pattern at the ecological landscape actually tells us something about the process of environmental filtering. And that paper nicely shows that there are lots and lots of ways that we can get um, convergent ecological communities or communities that have very similar species that don't have anything to do with environmental filtering. So that group actually shows nicely that we need to really, even without using phylogenetic information, we need to test the assumptions of our um, pattern-to-process uh, linkages that we make in, com in community ecology. Um, and that's a theme that is echoed throughout the papers in the special feature. Um, this, the second paper is by Gerhold and others. And that paper does a really nice job of systematically evaluating all of the assumptions in the types of pattern-to-process um, linkages we make in phylogenetics and community ecology. And so they outline all of the assumptions that need to be met in order to be able to infer something about community assembly from phylogenetic information. Um, and they also say that, un unfortunately, the 
burden of proof doesn't really lie behind meeting all of those assumptions. So until now, very few studies have met all of the assumptions necessary to really infer a process from phylogenetic pattern. As a result, um, they don't say that we should give up on phylogenetic um, information in community ecology. In fact, they point to some really interesting new avenues, um, first and foremost of which is that we can start to investigate how ecological interactions are actually impacting evolution. And that's something that both Patrick and I are very interested in, and we think that it's, it's sort of a backwards or an inverse approach to the way that we're doing things now. So right now we're actually looking at phylogenetic patterns and trying to infer something about ecology, but we can actually investigate ecology and try to understand how ecology is influencing evolution by following the progress of the evolution of phylogenetic relationships among organisms. They also, in that paper, promote the use of phylogenetics in understanding how macroevolutionary patterns um, come to govern or impact local community assembly, which is also a really exciting avenue for this field in the future. The third paper is actually led by Patrick Benai, and it's, a, it's an assessment of previous uh, experimental studies investigating the influence of phylogenetic distance and phylogenetic relationships among species on the stability of ecosystem functioning. And specifically, it's a reanalysis of grasslands data. And previously, this um, type of analysis had shown that phylogenetic distance is very important in predicting ecosystem functioning. And here I mean um, the production of biomass by grasslands. But we decided to go back and reanalyze this data and to really try to separate the effects of um, phylogenetic distance or relatedness among species and actually the number of species per se in that community. And when we did this through some um, multiple different types of methods of statistically and rigorously separating species diversity from uh, species relatedness, we found that actually species diversity was explaining the vast majority of the variation in ecosystem functioning. And that phylogenetic relatedness was not really a good predictor of ecosystem functioning and stability of functioning over time in these grassland communities. So the take-home message from that paper was that in order to really um, rigorously test the impact of phylogenetic distance, we need to separate out the relationships between species richness and uh, phylogenetic distance among species in the community. And then the last paper by Monk, Mueller, and colleagues um, is, is also very interesting. It talks about something that Patrick mentioned earlier, which is that we should really try to understand how traits evolve along a phylogenetic tree. And the main concept here is that the only reason why phylogenetic information should really be important in community ecology or ecosystem functioning research is if evolutionary relationships somehow reflect trait variation among species on a phylogenetic tree. And what Monk, Mueller, and others show is that the concept of niche, conservati niche conservatism sorry, is, is actually um, difficult to prove, and a lot of our metrics for this type of conservatism actually don't work very well for different types of trait evolution. So what they promote is a more rigorous testing of this idea of niche conservatism by actually modeling trait evolution along phylogenetic trees. And they provide a very nice 
a recipe or cookbook by which you can actually um, do this and do it rigorously and confidently. Um, and then altogether, I think really the papers um, achieved the goal, which was of the special feature, which was really to just assess where we are in this field, what the what the main drawbacks and pitfalls are of the, the research that's ongoing, um, what the assumptions are and how often we meet the assumptions, and also to really chart a, a route forward for using phylogenetics and community in community ecology and ecosystem functioning research. And altogether, although we, we didn't um, necessarily provide a good news story in all cases, I think it was much, a much needed time to assess the, the path of this field. Thanks. So, uh, Patrick, one last question. Um, stepping back, and when I look at these papers and, and think about your special feature, what really underpins, of course, all of these is this idea that we need to integrate ecological and evolutionary processes to better understand ecosystem functioning. And, of course, now we're in this era of rapid global change. Can, can you just leave us with a few words on how important you think these approaches are likely to be for the future? Yes, sure. As, uh, as Anita already mentioned, we are both co-authors in one of the papers in this special feature that directly explores this impact of phylogenetic diversity on ecosystem functioning. I need to say that phylogenetic diversity is a measure of diversity that incorporates information about the evolutionary relatedness of species. So that's the way to integrate evolutionary information into, a into uh, ecosystem functioning. But before answering your, your question, let me in, uh, put this into a context. Uh, research linking diversity to ecosystem functioning started back in the early 90s as a way to explore and to predict the consequences of diversity loss. After 25 years of, and hundreds of experiments later, there is now enough evidence showing that decreasing the number of species is detrimental for the functioning of ecological systems, and as a consequence, uh, there's a, a reduction in the capacity to provide many ecosystem services, such as wood production, carbon sequestration, etc. So in simple words, the more species you have, the better it is for an ecosystem to function. So species is Species richness is only one aspect of diversity, and it's very coarse. Uh, it's, it's a very coarse way to, to 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 measure diversity. So, for over the last 10 years or so, given this improved capacity to quantify the relatedness of species, it has been suggested that phylogenetic phylogenetic diversity should also be a. Hi, this is Alan Knapp again. We had some technical difficulties at the end of the recording of this podcast and we lost the last 30 seconds or so. But I would like to take this opportunity to thank Patrick and Anita for visiting with us today and wish them the best in their future research endeavors.